previously on Little Bit Leave It. Welcome back to Little Bit Leave It, the podcast where we talk Love Island, UK in the USA. My name is Ben and I am again by myself for this intro because we have another compilation episode. This one, it's all tabloid fodder. We are going to talk about the Princess Di, Prince Charles and Camilla Parker Bowles love triangle. We are going to talk about the Cray Brothers. And we are going to talk about the Dream Boys. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be chock full of uh, sensational material. Lots of uh, scandal today. So if you love it, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash little bit leave it. And thank you very much for listening. And uh, yeah, enjoy today's episode. This episode of Little Bit Leave It is sponsored by the Friend Island Series 3 Scrapbook. Relive all of your favorite moments from the critically exclaimed series with all... Critically exclaimed? What was that? That's what it says. Relive all your favorite moments from the critically exclaimed series with this all-new collection of photos, stolen diary entries, and unexplained locks of hair. You'll find photos of Emma C, Emma J, and Emma H getting crazy at the Tupperware party. Hey, it's Adam D and Adam R playing Settlers of Catan with Emma S and Emma B on game night. And who can forget the popcorn buffet on romantic comedy night? With the Friend Island Series 3 scrapbook, you'll finally be able to feel nostalgic for experiences you've never had and miss people you've never met. But that's not all. The Friend Island Series 3 scrapbook is the only place you'll be able to get personal affects from all of this season's Islanders that were stolen by production assistants while the foolish and naive contestants were sleeping. We've got Sarah B's earrings that were given to her by her ex-fiance, Sarah T's jogging shorts, and of course, who can forget when Sarah M woke up and couldn't find her diary? We've got over 500 unique personal affects, and if you order fast enough, you'll have one to call your very own. How could this possibly get any better? For an extra $29.99, you get to be a part of the action. That's right, we will Photoshop you into three different photos with cast members of Friend Island, so you can pretend you were right there with them. The three photos come as Polaroid-style prints that you can display on your fridge to fool yourself and anyone who might see them into thinking you've got a rich social life. Is it unhealthy? Extremely. Will it make you feel better? Occasionally, if you don't think too hard about it and are practiced in the art of self-denial. So visit www.friendislandscrapbook.net to attempt to fill the hole in your life that your compulsive behaviors and addictions have failed to alleviate. The Friend Island Series 3 Scrapbook. It's cheaper than therapy. Oh, okay. So, I know what I want for my birthday. Yeah, ITV7 is good to us. What can I say? Okay, so today we are going to do a deep dive into what is probably the most famous love triangle in the modern era of the United Kingdom, I guess, right? Modern in terms of when we've been alive, at least. Modern British history. Okay, so who are we talking about? We are going to talk about Prince Charles, Lady Diana Spencer, and Camilla Parker Bowles. When we first discussed this episode, we thought we were going to talk about famous love triangles, and I mentioned that to my mom, and she's always been a Princess Diana fan. Not like a creepy one, but just, you know, admiring the woman, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But she said, you should do Diana and Charles and Camilla, and I said, oh, okay, maybe, but Meghan and Harry are sitting down tonight with Oprah, and I figured the timing was perfect. So here we are. Let's talk about this very famous love triangle there was a lot more to it than I remember as a kid. And I figured that people younger than us probably don't know about it. I did not even realize that it was a love triangle. I didn't realize that Charles was maybe with both women 
simultaneously. That's surprising to me. Buckle up, buckaroo. Let's do this. Prince Charles was born in 1948. He's been the heir apparent since 1952 and the longest serving heir apparent in British history. Imagine becoming heir apparent when you're four and now you're 72 and you're still not the king. Wow. Well, I can't even imagine being royalty or nobility or whatever. So I'm having a little bit of a hard time putting myself in his shoes. Well, I didn't ask you to do that. I just. Yes, you actually just did. Talk about a carrot in front of your nose for decades. It's just a long time to be like next in line. It is. Will's probably like, oh, shit, I'm going to be king a long time because, I mean, nobody lives forever. And I have a feeling after the queen passes, Charles won't be that far behind. Anyway, Prince Charles met one Camilla Shand in 1970 at a polo match at Windsor Castle. And they hit it off and they started hanging out and dating. Why didn't they just get married? Why even go through the whole Diana Sherrod? Why not be with her? Well, I'll tell you. She had previously been romantically involved with Army Officer Andrew Parker Bowles, who would go on to be her first husband. But at this time, Andrew was dating Princess Anne, Charles's sister. Royal biographer Sarah Bradford wrote in her book, Diana, quote, Princess Anne was in love with Andrew. Camilla was in love with Andrew. Charles was in love with Camilla. Camilla was having some of it, but she was also potty about Andrew. All this intrigue was going on. Well, she was potty about him? Yes. That's a weird one. She was also from a lower station and she had a bit of a party girl rep. Okay, I like this Camilla. So everybody's chasing everybody or politely boinking each other. I don't really know. So this is, I mean, the British really have Love Island style culture in their blood, right? Well, if they have blue blood. Yeah. So Charles joined the Royal Navy in 1972. And while he was away, Camilla got engaged to Andrew Parker Bowles. They got married the next year, but they stayed really close with Charles. He's actually their first son's godfather. Now that Camilla is off the cards, Charles dates around several different women, including Sarah Spencer from an aristocratic family with ties to the government and the crown. Her grandmother was close with the queen. I also just want to say I like you using off the cards there a moment ago. I, I noticed that and I appreciate it. Call back. So about 1977 or 78, I've seen a few different dates. Sarah decides she's got the ick. The ick. I don't a bit know. like Leanne in this episode. I don't wow. know if it was times 10, but. Just this is so many connections. I, wow, I had no idea. Sarah gets the ick. So she decides that she is going to introduce him to her little sister. As one does. Lady Diana was 16 years old. And how old was Mr. Um, Charles again? <laughs> Mr. Prince Charles. Yes, Mr. Prince Charles was how old? 29. This is kind of like the Caroline Flack, Harry Styles situation. Except then. worse. No, this is a smaller age gap. It's the monarchy. You don't fuck with the monarchy. Well, you don't fuck with Simon Cowell either. Fair dues. Thank you. So... Sarah introduces him to Diana, blah, 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 in July of 1980. Did you just, what did you just blah, blah, blah over? Did you just blah, blah, blah over courtship or anything or no? Can you not be rude? Mm, I can try. Can you not be rude? Can you just trust that I actually wrote out like a very I comprehensive you, yeah. explanation? If, if you would just shut your yap, you would be entranced okay, by all my okay, goodies. Okay, 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 okay. Okay. In July of 1980, Diana and Charles meet again and spark a romantic relationship. She's 18 and a half. They went on a few dates, like on the royal yacht. And then in September of 1980, they went to Balmoral. You say that very ominously. That is Queen Elizabeth II's summer home in North, in North Ass, Scotland. North Ass? Like, are you just saying it's really far north or is that actually the name? No, it's really far north. It's, no, it's North Ass, Scotland. No, but it's a real place called North Ass, Scotland? No, it's just in Scotland. It's fucking North Ass up. Okay. I, I never heard that before. It's new. I just made it up. It's on the moors. 
On the moors. On the moors to meet the family. And Balmoral, going to Balmoral has always been kind of a test. That is the queen's summer home. And they, they are more like regular people in that house. But that also means if you go there as a guest of the royal family, you are on the precipice of being part of the inner circle. So you have to pass this test or you're nothing. You're gone. You're yesterday's cat bar. Yeah. So what is, what's the test? What do they have to do? Are there feats of strength? No, unfortunately not. You have to have the right clothes. You have to have an outfit for everything. Like what? Like a croquet outfit? And- yes, a hunting outfit. Was it? Oh, Margaret Thatcher famously didn't bring Wellingtons and they had to lend her a pair. And she never was up to snuff with the royal family ever again because she didn't bring her own wellies. You know, I really do not like the royal family. I'm just throwing it out there. They suck. Okay. So you have to have the right clothes. You have to have good etiquette, obviously. There's all special rules you have to follow when you're in royalty's presence. And you have to roll with it. Basically, if they want to go stomping out on the moors in the rain and wind, you put a smile on your face and you go. Whatever is served, you eat, you smile, you say thank you, and you just go with the flow. I really do not want to hang out with the royal family. Just saying. But there's all these arbitrary rules. Like there's one chair you can't sit in because the last person to sit in that chair was Queen Victoria. So nobody sits in that chair, but it's not like marked off or roped off. And so I guess you're just supposed to know. You're just supposed to know. These people are psychotic. This is not normal. So Diana aces the test. She was very bubbly and outgoing and uncomplicated. And she didn't sit in the wrong chair. She didn't sit in Ghost Victoria's lap. He loved it there. She said it was super stressful and tense. So the courtship really rushes by. She said, these are her words, we met 13 times and we got married. That's insane. Yes. So in November 1980, the first official paparazzi photo of her came out. She's got her keys in her hand and she's going to her shared flat and all of a sudden she becomes a celebrity. Her whole life changes. I mean, she was marrying the prince or she was getting with the prince. So, yeah, well, that'll that'll do it. So in January 1981, the quiet hero of this story, Prince Philip, Queen Elizabeth II's husband and Prince Charles's father, writes a letter to Charles basically telling him to shit or get off the pot with Diana. Okay, and so he decides to shit. So in February 1981, they announce their engagement. He's 32, she's 19. They do their first interview together. And when the interviewer asks if they're in love, Diana responds, of course. Charles says, whatever in love means. Wow, how romantic. Very romantic. Yeah, so this whole thing is a mess. July 29th, 1981, they had a huge wedding seen by over 750 million people worldwide. Ugly dress, 25-foot train, which was the longest train in royal history on her dress. She's 20. She said his name wrong, and they forgot to kiss after exchanging vows. And that's the wedding of the century. Some wedding. Some wedding. Yeah, these people are terrible. I'm just, everything that I learn about the royals, the less I like them. We're not even born yet, babe. You got to stop interrupting with, I don't like the royals, because you're going to be saying that a lot. Can you just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show? Yeah, so I'm going to be born in like six weeks. So? Just saying, we're very close to my birth now. I'm just saying, we have a long way to go. Okay, yeah, so okay. So sit I'm back, sorry. relax, oh, yeah, okay. and enjoy the show. I did a lot of work. All right. Stop challenging me. No, no, not challenging at all. So they go on a two-week honeymoon on the yacht, the royal yacht, where he wore cufflinks that were a gift from... Jesus? Um, Gift from Camilla Parker Bowles. Of course. So their personality differences and their age differences started to bubble up. Obviously, the cufflinks thing was a huge red flag. He wanted to go fishing or read smart books. And she hung out with the crew and gave an impromptu piano performance. Wow. So they are not very similar, huh? Yeah. They could already tell that this was a bad idea. Then they went to Balmoral with the family, which was awful for her. It was always very tense. June 1982, Prince William was born. Wow. That's fast. His birth was scheduled around Charles's polo schedule. Okay. By this point, by the way, Camilla and Andrew had two children already. In September 1984, Harry is born. Charles had wanted a daughter so much, she didn't tell him it was a boy. When Harry was born, 
Charles allegedly burst out, oh, God, it's a boy. Charles followed up with, and he's even got red hair. This was the beginning of the end for Diana. This dude, man. Oh, he sucks. That's okay. Diana fell in love with her married bodyguard in 1985. She called him her greatest love. Oh. So, of course, he gets let go. And I found different sources. It was either three weeks to a few months after he was let go in 1987. He was killed in a motorcycle crash. Wow. And she suggested that he was killed off. Interesting. Yeah. So she started seeing somebody else who's not really relevant. So in 1986, Charles started seeing Camilla again. They had stayed friends the whole time, but they started seeing each other romantically. Her husband knew about it and he didn't stop it. In response to a question about Camilla's involvement in the breakdown of her marriage, Diana said in a BBC interview, well, there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded. Wow, so that's harsh. Yes, but she's having her own affairs. I don't think she's totally blameless. He's having his thing with Camilla again. Meanwhile, she's become this huge international superstar celebrity. When she went to Tokyo, nearly 100,000 people lined the streets to see her. And I don't know if you remember, but I remember she was always really fond of traveling and meeting the people. And she never wore gloves, which was against royal custom. I never realized how young she was. When we were kids. That's the thing that's shocking to me now. Yeah, she was a baby. Things looked okay. They looked like wife and prince and two sweet boys. But she was struggling with bulimia and just having a really rough road, you know, all over. And people were looking at her and calling her unstable instead of seeing her cry for help. Things were not good. So in 1989, at Camilla's sister's 40th birthday... Now, I've seen two different versions of this story, so I don't know what the true one is. Probably neither of them. Charles and Camilla disappeared, and Diana found them. They may or may not have been having a chat with another friend, but they were definitely having a chat. And Diana asked Camilla if they could go for a chat. Again, all these these Love Island parallels. It's nuts. So in one account, she said, I'm sorry I'm in the way. I'm obviously in the way. It must be hell for both of you. But I do know what's going on, and don't treat me like an idiot. The other version is that Diana didn't pull Camilla. They waited until Charles and the friend left the room, and she told Camilla, i just like you to know that I know exactly what is going on. So, two different accounts. Basically same the same, vibe. though. Right. right. So, 1992, Diana goes on record with an interview about her life, which was hugely scandalous because she's not supposed to break... The thin purple line, I guess. The thin royal line. Yeah, yeah. And then she published Diana, her true story in her own words. Oh. Then November 1992, Camilla Gate. Tapes became public from a phone call between Charles and Camilla from back in 1989, illegally and mysteriously recorded. So this phone call, not only did it reveal the massive coordination it took for them to tryst because he made sure that William and Harry never saw her and he was very aware of how gossip traveled. So he was really trying to stay on the lowdown. You right? mean the down low? Whatever. The call was also hella dirty. Nice. And very schmoopy. And you can read it. Google it. Camilla Gate. You'll find it. You can read the whole thing. So famously, he said, I'll just live inside your trousers. It would be easier. That is interesting that is not even the close to the grossest thing that was said i don't know how gross that is just a little weird i mean it could get a little sweaty in there i guess he also said that it would be his luck to be reincarnated as a tampon like, i don't know to but be inside her i don't think a tampon would be that good because you'd be you'd, you know you get thrown away after about 36 hours wouldn't you rather be like a menstrual cup wait wait Hold the fucking phone. There are so many things wrong with that sentence. A tampon does not get thrown away after 36 hours. Like 12 hours? Like at the most. Okay. See, I'm a dude. Never use a tampon. I know that. I know you can't use them for very long, but yeah, 12 hours. Good to know. At the most. All right. Well, we don't have a daughter, so you don't have anything to worry about. Thank God. And the other part was that Camilla actually said the same thing. That she wanted to be a tampon? No, that it wouldn't be very nice because then he'd get taken out and thrown away. So she suggested he would be reincarnated as a box of tampons. 
You can't make this up. Google it and read it. But a, a box of tampons. So if he was just the box, that wouldn't be very fun. I mean, I think menstrual cup is the way to go. They didn't have those back then. Really? I, is that's new technology? Newish, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So what, what would be back then? What would it have been? Tampon. No, but like, is there like a reusable? Why are you pushing this so hard? In December of 1992, shortly thereafter, Diana and Charles separate after 11 years together. They both continued their royal duties apart. In 1994, Charles admits to having an affair in a documentary meant to be about his 25th year anniversary of being Prince of Wales. And I have to mention this since we love Wales. Charles was made to drop out of Cambridge when he was 20 to go study for two months in Wales before they would let him become the Prince of Wales. Wow. So, but he's not even really Welsh, is he? No, but they own Wales and he's the Prince of Wales. Yeah, they own Wales. I mean, just ridiculous, the royal family. Ridiculous. So the intention of this documentary was most likely to redeem his image a little bit after the sex tapes came But it out. didn't work, did it? It didn't. It doesn't work when you confess an affair. You don't look better. The night that documentary was released, Princess Diana attended a Vanity Fair party wearing what would be called the revenge dress. A really sexy, slinky, off-the-shoulder little black dress. And you could just tell... She was feeling good as hell. Blame it on her juice. So in January 1995, Camilla files for divorce from Andrew Parker Bowles. And by August 96, Charles and Diana announced their divorce. Prince Philip, here he comes again, takes Diana's side. There were some letters released in 2003 between Prince Philip and Diana at this time. And he wrote to her, Charles was silly to risk everything with Camilla for a man in his position. We never dreamed he might feel like leaving you for her. Such a prospect never even entered our heads. I think it's pretty obvious, but. Yeah, I don't know. Philip, dude, all these people, man. Yeah. In 1995, she gave a very famous interview to Martin Bashir. She admitted she never saw herself ruling the United Kingdom, but wanted to remain a queen in people's hearts. Blah. Aw. So she was dating around. She dated Brian Adams. Really? She did. And she also dated a surgeon, Hasnat Ahmad Khan. And then she was dating Dodi Fayed, who is the son of an Egyptian billionaire. After they were divorced, Charles tried to work Camilla into royal life. He threw her a lavish 50th birthday party in July of 1997 and didn't invite Diana. Why would he? It would be polite. I don't know. I mean... It's going to be a little weird. If they were regular people, nobody would ever be like, so are you going to invite your ex-wife? No, I'm not going to invite my ex-wife to my new wife's 50th birthday party. I mean, come on. I mean, maybe if it was your ex-wife from like a long time ago or something like that. But no, this is just normal, regular people would not do that. It doesn't matter anyway. On August 31st, 1997, Princess Diana died in a car accident in Paris. The car was being chased through a tunnel by the paparazzi who were trying to get a picture of them going from the Ritz to Dodi Fayed's private estate. Fayed and the driver died on the scene. Diana died a few hours later in the hospital at age 36. Her bodyguard was the only survivor. I remember that day very clearly. We were hanging out with my parents' friends and we had something on TV and it cut away to announce that she was dead. And my mom was really upset. Like I said, my mom's always been a big fan. Do you remember that day? Did it stand out for you at all? No, I don't actually remember her dying. I mean, I, I vaguely remember that the time because I remember there were other women who were, you know, in their 30s. So this would have been like the younger teachers at my high school, right? They were upset. Yeah, she was 36. That's sad. So following her death, Prince Charles traveled to Paris to bring her body back to England and he also reportedly halted plans to formally announce Camilla as his partner. The funeral was September 6th, 1997, seen by an estimated 2 billion viewers. This I did not watch. Her brother Earl Spencer said in his eulogy, For such was her extraordinary appeal that the tens of millions of people taking part in this service all over the world via television and radio who never actually met her feel that they too lost someone close to them in the early hours of Sunday morning. It is a more remarkable tribute to Diana, oh God, look at me, than I can ever hope to offer her today. Like, people really loved her. The people's princess. Yeah, sure. 
Meanwhile, Charles must be feeling a giant weight off his shoulders. But his story isn't over yet. In 1998, Camilla met William, not Harry, and the Queen snubbed them later that year in revenge by not attending Charles's 50th birthday party. Snap. I, yeah, I still, like, I don't like the Queen. Uh, in 1999, they had their first public photos as an official couple, and they went on vacation to Greece with the boys. The next year, the Queen agreed to attend a party where she knew Camilla would be in attendance, which signaled her acceptance of Camilla's role in Charles's life. They moved in together in 2003, and they got married in 2005. In 2007, Camilla was invited to but did not attend a royal memorial service for Princess Diana, saying that she would just be a distraction and she didn't want to take away from the day. Though that was pretty classy. That is very classy. And the last thing I'll say is that in 2016, Camilla joined the Queen's Privy Council, the innermost group of senior advisors to the crown. And William was also sworn in. These are to make sure that they are both there for Charles's swearing in upon the Queen's death. She's like 9,700 by now, so I don't think she's ever going. So when, if Charles becomes king, does that mean Camilla would be the new queen of England? She is not allowed to be queen. That was part of the marriage settlement. She's not allowed to be queen. She is made the Duchess of Cornwall and would be the princess consort, not the queen, if Charles becomes king. And then she was also titled Dame Grand Cross of the Royal Victorian Order. And she rode with the queen during the Diamond Jubilee. So she won't be the queen. She'll be the princess consort. Kind of like the guy who is now the queen's husband is not the king. He is the prince regent or something. Yeah, that's Prince, prince Philip. Prince con- Is he the prince consort? Something like that. Yeah. I don't really know this stuff. Like, this is a deep dive for me, too. I learned something. This was not something I had any interest in previously. Yeah. Now I'm going to go watch The Crown because apparently season four is all about this shit. All right, well, you can go ahead and watch The Crown. This episode of Little Bit Leave It is brought to you by, I guess, uh, is it this one's another recording? Yeah, all you have to do is press play. Or whatever. You do. Are you sick of limp lettuce? Sick of sipping on loser soups? You ever feel like a... What? Wait. I can't say that anymore. Wait, why can't I say that? But there's nothing limp or losery about Rufus Rutterman. I'm the owner of Peter Pecker Foods and the genius that brought you Big Johnson Mega Meat Sausages. Who else but Peter Pecker could come up with pork sausages wrapped in bacon stuffed with hot, spicy beef. They come in a variety of lengths and girths, making them the perfect lunch food for all ages. Slap your meat on one of our sweet buns. Slather on some of our crema sausage sausage sauce and go to town. If you vote for me to be the first chairperson on the lunch council, I will do my damnedest to ensure that every lunch is fit for a king and loaded with fresh American meat. Vegetables are bullshit. We're not rabbits. That's science, bro. You deserve meat in your mouth. And I'm gonna put it there. Together, we'll go ham on lunch. Rufus Rutterman, first chairperson of Lunch Council. Let's go ham on lunch. Peter Packer Foods is a proud sponsor of the Lunch Council. I'm Rufus Rutterman. Of course I approve this message. I just said it. Okay, uh, well... That was an adventure. I suddenly feel hungry. Do we have any hot dogs? I guess that ad was not totally unexpected given that we had that other campaign ad a few episodes ago. You expected that? No, I didn't. <laughs> you saw that coming? You thought, gee, who is the sponsor today? And you were like, some crazed raccoon of a human with a lot of meaty dick jokes. They were jokes, right? I mean, I assume that was all jokes. Yeah, I... I'm assuming. I, I've i never heard of that sausage stuff. We should get that cream of sausage sausage <laughs> sausage. What the? <laughs> that sounds delicious. Yeah, I don't even want to know. Yeah, it's like ranch dressing with sausage in it. Ranch dressing with sausage chunks. Yum. Yum. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, it could be beaten in to the actual mix itself. And then you got your creamy sausage sausage sauce. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, ITV, if you have a food line, call me. So I think in honor of Leanne, our deep dive today will go into her hometown. We are? Yeah. Let's do that. All right. Let's go. Do we need to take a train or? Leanne is from the very north, northeast part of London, of greater metropolitan London, from a part called Waltham Forest. She calls herself the Beyonce of Waltham Forest. So it's not clear if she's being purely self-deprecating or maybe Waltham Forest is one of the last places that you'd expect Beyonce or someone that glamorous to be from. She's probably also the prettiest girl in town. Very possible. Very possibly. Maybe that's what it actually means. But anyway, given we've already done exploration into Cornwall and different places in Wales and Bristol, I thought it only made sense to become a bit more familiar with the most important part of the UK, Metropolitan London. And, you know, I also thought this would be good preparation for our eventual deep dive into Romford. Romford! Romford. How far out are we? So we're basically zone three on the tube. And I think the very, very last stop might be zone four. But it's pretty far out. Like Waltham Forest, north of Waltham Forest is an actual forest. Cool. At least it's not false advertising. Yes. And that actually, the northern part, that is where... Leanne is from. So London is obviously the beating heart of the UK and had been the primary financial center of Europe before Brexit. We'll see what happens. It's where English culture had long been centered, even if many of the most popular names migrated there to get famous. It's still where more immigrants go to start their new lives than elsewhere in England. It's there New York and Los Angeles rolled into one if we wanted to compare it to US cities. And London is also enormous. You've been there. I have been there. I've been there twice. And we have not yet been there together. No. I mean, London's nice and all. It just wasn't my favorite city that I've ever been to. Yeah, I'd like to go back. I've only been once. I was in college. If I end up in London, I'll be totally happy to end up there. But if I'm making a travel destination, it's not London. One thing I do remember is the scale is just really overwhelming. Yes. You know, it's like the entire New York metro area being one city. Yeah, no boroughs. Not in the same way. Not, no boroughs is distinct land masses. Yeah. I mean, they have their boroughs, obviously. That's what I'm Walton saying. Forest is not, a borough. Yeah. They're not distinct land masses. Right. So this, this giant area, Greater London, was created in 1965. And before it was part of London, it was three independent boroughs, Leighton, Walthamstow, and Chingford. And before 1965, it was actually part of Essex. Oh, Essex. Yes. So Love Island's favorite neighborhood. Yeah, and Romford is also Romford. Romford is in the same boat. It's also historically Essex, but now part of Greater Metropolitan London. So with a bit of sleuthing, I did figure out that Leanne is from Chingford, all the way on the northern edge of Waltham Forest. Are you stalking Leanne? Well, I found a two thousand six article. I really uh just used Google, but I had to do some creative searching to find this article. And it's from the East London and West Essex Guardian. And it's about the retirement of a primary school office manager named Rosemary Kane. And the article has a small little photo. And in that photo is eight-year-old Leanne. And she looks exactly the same. She looks really cute. Chingford is pretty interesting, actually. The name likely comes from Old English and means King's Fort. So some people will tell you that it's named after the nearby River Ching, but historians now think that's actually backwards, that the river was named after the town, which is kind of, yeah, the opposite of how it normally goes. Drama. And there's evidence that King Harold Harefoot, (laughs) yeah, that was a real English king way back in the 11th century, he lived here, and that there is still a royal hunting lodge that dates back to 1543. It was built for Henry VIII, and it is in Chingford. Are there any heads in there? Like heads in jars? I don't know. That would be dope. I don't know. But the lodge is basically at the very, very north end of Chingford, right at the edge of that big forest, this royal forest. 
And even older than that is this church called All Saints Church. Parts of that date back to the 12th century. So do the new saints come in? Because it says All Saints. So is that false advertising? I don't know. I don't know how that works. Is it only the local saints and then like all the saints go to their own local All Saints church? Or is it like we pray to all y'all? Like we're not going to play favorites. Yeah, I think it's the latter. I think they pray to all of the saints. Because, you know, we live in Staten Island where there's hella Catholic churches. And so we got St. Joseph and St. Thomas. We got St. Christopher's. We got St. Rita's. We got St. Charles, St. Clair, St. Rock's. I think St. Rock's might have just closed. We got a hella Catholic school. St. Rock's? Like R-O-C-K, like The Rock? <laughs> yes, R-O-C-H. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. But yeah, we got hella churches here. And that's not even all of them. Like, there are so many. So there are some you know interesting stories about this church. But rather than get into the story of the rector who was removed for swearing and gambling, but then later reinstated when people missed all of the swearing and gambling. Nice. Let's look across the street to the Chingford Mount Cemetery. Wait, no, I want to talk about the rector. <laughs> well, I, there's not a lot about the rector. It's That's pretty much all I know. <laughs> oh. But buried in that cemetery are two particularly colorful characters from London's history. Ronnie and Reggie Cray. <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah, they are Cray. Twin brothers who headed up a gang called The Firm and they terrorized the East End of London and later London more generally in the 1950s and 1960s. Huh. From what I can tell, the Cray brothers were standard issue juvenile delinquents when they were kids. They weren't that bad. But they weren't that good. They weren't that good. They were amateur boxers and then they were drafted into the army, but they really did not appreciate that. See, kids, eat your mayonnaise, become a professional boxer, don't get drafted. Well, I don't know if that would have spared them, but I think you had to serve. I don't know if it was mandatory, but they went AWOL a number of times. Did they set sail? No, they did not set sail. And they were eventually court-martialed for assaulting a sergeant who tried to bring them back to the barracks, among other crimes they committed while they were in the army. They were arrested, and they were actually among the last prisoners to be held at the Tower of London. Really? Yeah. That's a claim to fame. So they were there for a few weeks before it closed for good. They were dishonorably discharged from the military, and that, combined with their criminal records, made them ineligible to continue boxing. So they became full-time criminals now. Well, it's a living. They got control over a pool hall somehow, well, a snooker bar, since we're in England. <laughs> that and sounds so much less threatening. I know. Snooker. And that snooker bar became their base of operations. Snooker? I damn near rector. Well, I told you, I don't know anything else about the rector. I know, but I've been looking for a rector joke this whole time. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm glad you found it. Yeah, it wasn't great. There might be more. So they continued to gain more power, working for a major crime boss from Liverpool, and then they bought more bars and nightclubs in the East End. They eventually bought, at a heavily discounted price, I imagine, a West End nightclub that had been owned by a major real estate player named Peter Rockman. And we will have to get to him in a different deep dive at some point because he is really interesting himself is he cray he is also a bit cray awesome and not a good guy no these guys are not good guys also i wasn't cheering for any of them frankly these are all bad guys i'm still cheering for leanne are we are we still cheering for leanne this is still about leanne right tangentially oh okay as long as it makes sense yeah yeah totally 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 we haven't even gotten to the good parts yet all right giddy up let's do it okay so Now these guys were in the West End, and the West End is the more glamorous part of London where the theaters are, where the music scene was, and their new nightclub and their natural charisma, apparently, helped them become minor celebrities. And here is where it gets good and why it also kind of relates to the world we live in today. What year are we in? They were about in like 1958, 1959, something like that. And... If you're here for totally pure escapism, you could skip the next 60 seconds because what happens next is that the craze become intertwined not just with celebrities like Frank Sinatra. Not surprising. Well, if there's somebody up to no good, Sinatra's there to help you out and sing a tune. Yep. And Judy Garland uh, was also friends with them. 
She did not make good friends. And but not just celebrities. They became associated with a lot of bankers and major politicians and other real estate players. And these politicians were in both the both the conservative party and the labor party. And they were in the House of Commons and the House of Lords. They really managed to have their tentacles corrupting a lot of different things. So they're kind of like the beginning of this phenomenon that just gets more and more sophisticated and defines corruption and politics for a lot of the Western world over the next 60 years and continuing to today. Their crimes got a pass. Their glamorous lifestyle and photos with actors and musicians overshadowed the violence and extortion that they had been known for. Their relationships with corrupt politicians on top of that. Yeah, it sounds like the mob. Yeah, I mean, and they had this reputation for violence, so that prevented any kind of negative coverage in the press. Yeah. So, they, I mean, they are. They're organized crime, and they had managed to corrupt a lot of politicians. And the network that they helped cement, you know, we, we can see today a lot of equivalents to those, right? In Deutsche Bank, right? Um, certain law firms. Trump. Uh, Jones Day, Kirkland Ellis. Obviously, yeah, Donald Trump. He's just like kind of a modern day Peter Rockman. Ooh. Yeah. Politicians like Nigel Farage and Boris Johnson Ooh. in the UK, right? Ron Johnson, Ron DeSantis in the US. Basically every Ron in the US except Swanson. Yeah. These are the corrupt politicians. They're the modern day versions of Lord Boothby and Tom Dryberg, who were these guys that the craze were associated with. Well, you know, there's a reason the kid said, my name is River Garbage and I work for the government. That's right. So, and I forgot to mention this. So those politicians, the reason that they are kind of also all caught up in this, Ronnie Cray is probably gay. He was married at one point. At one point he said he was bisexual. And then at the end of his life, he did say that he was gay. Aw, he felt like he had to leave his true self. Well, it, it was kind of known at the time. He had a relationship with Lord Robert John Graham Boothby, Lord Boothby, this conservative politician, and possibly also Tom Dryberg, who was a Labor Party parliament member from, I don't know from where, but he was a Labor Party politician in the House of Commons. And it was written up kind of vaguely in a gossip column in a newspaper, and it didn't even mention anyone's names, but it was enough for the craze to threaten violence, and the newspaper paid Boothby 40,000 pounds in a settlement to prevent a lawsuit. Wow. Yeah. So that stopped all other papers from pursuing those rumors. But Channel 4 did produce a documentary about this in 2009. Really? Yep. Oh, we got lots to talk about Channel yeah. 4 documentaries. Well, there are actually multiple movies made about the craze. Well, I guess I know what we're doing this weekend. Yep. Eventually, the craze brazenness led to their downfall. Uh, they broke a high-profile prisoner out of jail, but they didn't realize that he was too mentally ill to hide out. <laughs> so they ended up having to kill him. <laughs> Whoops. And then a rival gangster killed their cousin. So Ronnie Cray shot him in public in a pub with Holy lots shit. of witnesses. Holy shit. Reggie killed an assassin who worked for them who failed to kill someone that he'd promised to kill. I guess he only hurt the guy. But Reggie did it in front of a lot of the other contractors in their criminal organization so it destroyed the trust that a lot of them had in the craze scotland yard eventually came calling in 1968 and the cray brothers tried to get some of their captains and lieutenants to take the fall for a few murders and instead their associates decided to cooperate with the police and the Cray brothers were convicted and sentenced to life in prison without parole. Bada bing. But that did not stop them from continuing their grift. Oh, really? <laughs> nope. While they were imprisoned, the brothers released a joint autobiography. And then each of them released their own individual autobiographies. Wow. Did those actually make money? Were oh, those big successes? They were so successful that Reggie wrote a second solo autobiography released 10 years after the first volume. Oh, 
what is wrong with people? And Never mind. Their third brother, Charlie, who was also a criminal, but not quite as renowned as them, but you know, worked for them. The third Cray. The third Cray. Fredo. He also wrote an autobiography himself and got in on the action. So yeah, these guys all wrote multiple best-selling autobiographies. Was he Fredo though? I need to know. Uh, not clear. So Charlie actually was, he was only sentenced to 10 years. And when he got out, he and the two brothers who were still imprisoned started a private security service called Crayley Enterprises. And guess who was among their clients? Farage. No, Frank Sinatra. Oh, of course. I yeah. guess it's too early. Yeah. Yeah. So this would be like 1978 or something Well, he was like born. That. Yes, this is true. <laughs> Nigel Farage was born. He was probably a grown up. <laughs> He's a 25 year old guy or something. So I might get in trouble for saying this, but the more I learn about Frank Sinatra, the more I think that he's just a giant piece of shit. I'm sorry. I don't think you have to apologize. Yeah, I know. But if the word gets around Staten Island, I think I'll be in big trouble. Eh, You like Tony Bennett. You like Neil Sedaka. You're a nice Jewish boy. It's true. We're getting a little off topic here. So Charlie eventually got back in prison for smuggling cocaine and he would die there in the year 2000. Ronnie was transferred from a prison to a psychiatric hospital in 1985 due to his schizophrenia, and he would die there in 1995 after suffering a heart attack. Reggie was allowed out of prison for the final weeks of his life out of compassion, and he died of cancer in October 2000. Unbelievably, yet very believably, there was a long-running campaign to free them from prison. Sometimes supported even by celebrities. Thankfully, it did not succeed. Frank Sinatra? I don't know. I think it was mostly certain English celebrities. Francis Sinatra. Yeah. So it did not succeed, but it did get a 1990 film produced that really glamorized the Cray twins. And that movie stars the two brothers from Spandau Ballet. Really? Yes. And then 25 years later, Tom Hardy played both brothers in the film Legend. What? Yeah. That's recent, and that's an actor I've heard of. Yeah. So I don't know how much that movie glorifies the Cray brothers. If you go ahead and watch it, let us know. It's not supposed to be very good. Tom Hardy is supposed to be a good actor in it, but the movie itself is not supposed to hang that well together. Man, a lot of really good stuff. On Miranda these days. Yeah, how do they have the money for that? Who's funding them? I don't know. I don't know. But we have nothing but great things to say about Miranda. We love it. You we guys lo- should subscribe. It's only seventeen ninety nine a week. Yep. I know it sounds like a lot, but there is a lot of great content. Entertainment of that caliber is priceless. Yes. Let's get this party started. Okay. So... Dream Boys. I did some YouTubing looking for a video because if Mike is dancing all over the house, there must be some sort of dancing involved. And I thought it was a boy band. And there was a song called Tote where three, I presume, North African gentlemen were singing in French. And I thought I heard some Spanish, too. The video is in an abandoned alleyway and building. There's a very disappointing lack of dancing from the guys, and Mike is a much better dancer than all of them. And then I realized these were not the dream boys that the Islanders meant. Sorry, fellas. They meant dream boys, the first all-male review to include total nudity. They have touring shows, both UK and international, nightclub residencies. They do over 600 shows a year with over 100 performers and have an annual calendar. Dream Boys was started in 1987 by Barry Bacco, described in a 2011 article in The Independent as Islington's answer to Lou Reed. What does that even mean? He has dark hair and wears a leather jacket and maybe a bad attitude. Was he in a band? No. I don't get it. Uh, Mr. Bacco was starting a modeling agency and he wanted to get his models some exposure. Uh, Because he was trying to find men from the street, men who were not already actors or polished dancers. And it was a huge hit. Uh, Since there's no tipping culture in the UK, it's not like what a striptease show looks like in the US. It was more of a theatrical show, a review, if you will. So this guy's story is that he meant to start a modeling agency. Right. With a lot of guys who had no experience, who were rough and on the streets and he accidentally ended up starting this 
male stripping company. I don't buy that origin story. I think he kind of always meant to do exactly what he was doing. Well, they didn't have a history of that in the UK. What if it was just a stroke of genius, a stroke of luck? Well, I'm not denying the guy the genius. I actually would give him credit. But I think that this whole like, oh, I did this on accident. That's what I think is fake. So it took off right away. Totally huge. And after only four years, the Dream Boys were invited to play gods in a scene with the British youth opera and ballet. That's weird. That is a little weird. I'm always amazed by the seeming contradictory prudishness and utter lasciviousness. Yes, of the British. Um, at Whitehall Palace for a charity gala in celebration of Princess Diana's birthday. Lady Diana met the boys after the show and reportedly said, you aren't wearing very much tonight. And one of the boys supposedly replied, you should see us in our show. One of the guys then served as her personal uh, trainer, although they said that she had no idea. So I don't know how that works. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about what it's like being a Dream Boys dancer. Women often become near feral at performances. In that same article uh, from The Independent, dated September 22nd, 2011, by Steve Boggan, one dancer named Carl, who used to be married to Natalie from the pop group All Saints, if that's something you know about and are interested in, says he has scars on his legs and bum from women grabbing him. In a Cosmo UK article dated July 10th, 2017, writer Bobby Palmer tries to infiltrate the Dream Boys and comes away with some more stories. Dancer Shane says, Once I saw a woman run up, get on stage, and literally grab a dancer's naked penis and try and put it in her mouth. The doorman got her out pretty quickly, but can you imagine if something like that happened in a female strip club? It would be all over the front page. Uh, so there's one performer known as the Black Stallion, who was one of the few performers to actually do full nudity. Most of the guys don't even get to a G-string. It really is a lot about, you know, the act and the seduction and the suggestion. But the Black Stallion, his costume kit is just a work box with a penis pump. Um, but other guys use penis pumps as well. Hopefully they have their own. Uh, and one dancer in the Cosmo article said, it's basically just to give them a semi. It doesn't hurt, but it is a weird feeling. What does hurt is tying rubber bands around the base of their penis to hold the blood in, which then have to be cut off with scissors. It is no surprise to me that this practice has sent at least one poor guy to casualty. So this is kind of disturbing to me, obviously as a, as a guy, but also from a kind of uh, leftist labor perspective, this is really unsafe. And what's nuts about this is that there are products. <laughs> nuts. Yeah. Okay. No pun intended. There are products, though, that accomplish the same thing as those rubber bands. They're not expensive. And it's kind of crazy that they won't spend the extra, you know, dollar to make sure that these guys don't do irreparable damage to their body. Yeah, it's really, really gross and exploitative. Yes, well, unfortunately, much of sex work is. And so needless to say, where Dream Boys goes, controversy follows. In the article from The Independent, the author quotes Mr. Bacco, I once got a call in my room from an indignant hotel manager who said there had been goings-on between five Dream Boys and one girl in one of his rooms. I was sorry to have to be the one to tell him it was his daughter. That is totally made up. Who cares? Just enjoy the story. No yeah. one got hurt. It's, it's funny, but yeah, totally made up. Obviously. She was consenting. It's not real. It's made up. So enjoy it. Do you go to every movie that you see? You go to Batman? This is made up. <laughs> um, well, nobody is trying to tell me that Batman is a true story. Oh, so you were the guy yelling in the middle of Argo, American Hustle. Goodfellas. That's how I stand up. This does not depict these events accurately. Okay, just checking. Uh, in the Cosmo article, dancer Jordan says, you see women naked in the crowd. You see women touching themselves. I danced with a chick on stage during her hen do once. That's a bachelorette party. Two days later, she broke off her engagement. She wouldn't stop messaging me. Let's just say the opportunity is there all of the time with a number of different women. 
and their friends. Uh, Dancer Lowton, I hope I said that right, adds, I've had women come to the show on their Hindu, take off their engagement rings and say, go through me and all of my bridesmaids at the hotel tonight and we'll never talk about it again. And I don't know why I find that so funny, but I am barely holding back laughter right now. Yeah, I mean... Does that really happen? I mean, I guess it does. I guess. Who would do that? We don't hang out with skeevy people. That's the thing. I think it's much more common if you hang out with skeevy people or you know skeevy people. We don't know enough skeevy people, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. This is a classy Love Island podcast. If you know skeevy people and you have stories about your friends or your friends' friends railing through strippers on their bachelor, bachelorette, stag, or hen You could message us. You should email it to us. Like, don't blow up your friend's spot. Or if they're proud of themselves, tag them. I don't care. Yeah, just email us. Littlebitleaveitpodcast at gmail.com. We'll read them on the podcast. Anonymously, of course. Like I said, unless your friends are proud of themselves. There is an infamous tour bus covered with 10 foot high topless pictures of the guys, which of course attracts the loud and frequently topless admiration of female motorists. There is a story in Mr. Bacco's book about his time with Dream Boys, The Power Behind the Pouch. His memoir, if you will. Sure. Of an impromptu game held during a traffic jam on the Autobahn. The one who came back with the most pairs of panties won. And you can guess what the fellas did to get those panties. Uh, But there is a no girls on the bus rule. So there are some standards. So the question we all have now is, are there any famous Dream Boys? And the answer is yes. If you watch a lot of UK reality TV, Michael Griffiths uh, from season five made a joke about joining Dream Boys after a saucy challenge on the show, and he actually got an offer to tour with them. So he is a part of the active cast, and he is Mr. May in the 2021 calendar. Man, that guy went from, what what did he have his degree in? Like molecular biology? I mean, the man can do it all. He can molecularly biology. He can he's, fight fires. He's he can... gone from from being like this scientist to being a firefighter to being a male stripper. Listen, jack of all trades. I don't know. It seems like he's doing it all backwards. That's all. I mean, if you're getting older and your jobs require you to be hotter and hotter, like hell. Well, get what it. I'm saying, he's headed toward a very early retirement or a life of being destitute if he doesn't, you know, kind of reverse course. I feel like you're shaming him a little bit. No, I don't mean to shame him. I'm concerned about his future and his long-term career prospects. Good thing he has that biology degree. To fall back on. He could be a fire scientist. Ooh, Michael, we have options for you. Call us when you're ready. So, I don't know. Strip clubs are not really my thing. I just prefer my erotica to be a bit more of a suggestion and a little bit less of a command. There is one event that does sound good to me. They recently launched Dream Balls. I don't know why I can't get through this without laughing. An afternoon of drag queen karaoke, bingo, food, booze, and semi-naked men. You asked me to talk a little bit more about Mr. Bacco. Yeah, he's really, I think, the most interesting part of all of this. Well, I'd beg to differ, but yes, he is very interesting. So Barry Bacco, um, and he spelled it B-A-R-I, was born Barry, B-A-R-R-Y, Solomons. And he started off as a fancy hairdresser in London at a top salon, Renee of Mayfair, which catered to aristocrats, celebrities, and socialites. He got out of Dream Boys in 2011, and in 2016, he was sentenced to 28 months in prison for tax fraud of over 350,000 pounds between 2007 and 2013. Wow. So he's a tax cheat. He's a criminal, this guy. Yes. But, you know, don't worry, life's not over for him. You can buy some of his interesting paintings, such as Brave New World, which depicts a ripped angel wearing only a turquoise banana hammock and rocking some lion-o hair on the Saatchi Gallery website. No, do not buy his art. He's a criminal. Do not buy his art. He also wrote an erotic novel called Mail for Sale, a fictionalized version of a true story about a male gigolo, his sexual adventures, and a blackmail attempt on the royal family. I don't know what true story it's based on or where he heard that true story, but, you know, considering his salon's clientele, I don't know. He had prime opportunity to know the right uh, or the wrong people. So Mail for Sale has one review on Goodreads, which is five stars, and was given by none other than Mr. Barry himself. 
on his LinkedIn page, he suggests that it would make a great film and that screenwriters and directors should definitely get in touch with him. You went to his LinkedIn page? That's awesome. I went to his Twitter page, too. I thought that would be interesting for sure. It says, I'm the real Barry Bacco, and anyone else claiming to be me is a fake. But he hasn't tweeted since 2013, so that was kind of a flop. Ah. And I actually only found his LinkedIn page because I was looking for more information about the book. And so erotica, you know, again, not really my thing. I am tempted to read The Power Behind the Pouch, but it's over 20 bucks on Amazon, and I don't know if I really want to give this dude my money. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not giving this guy my money. Seems like not a great guy. But if I'm ever in the UK and they're still doing dream balls, I might be down for that. The new owner is supposed to be much nicer. Okay, cool. Well, that was really interesting. Thank you for the deep dive. As your dad would say, it was really something. It was something. Very interesting. That does it for us. You can find us on social media. You can find me on Twitter at LBLI podcast. I'm at LBLI Peng, but you're much more likely to find me on Facebook because I am old. You can also find us on Instagram. I'm trying. And you can email us at littlebitleaveitpodcast at gmail.com. Please do that. We want to read your emails on the podcast. So until next time, from Staten Island to Love Island. I slept on the couch for four nights and I didn't even do anything wrong. I slept on the couch for four nights and I didn't even do anything wrong. I slept on the couch for four nights and I didn't even do anything wrong. I slept on the couch for four nights. I didn't even do anything wrong.